I can only say to our musicians, thank you for preaching such a marvelous, marvelous message this morning in song. And for the privilege it was to gather as God's people and to sing to one another and, of course, to the Lord. These great songs of truth about being set free. Father, it is so good to come into the congregation where you are at the center of our praise, our proclamation, our hearts, our thoughts. And to gather in a large circle and sing and praise you because you have set us free, forever forgiven. Love has healed us of a most desperate situation. And so, Father, we are, we are free people this morning, gathered in the presence of our great God. And Lord, I desire that you would impact our hearts now from your word, that we would love you enough to take your word seriously, that we would believe in you enough, that we would trust you enough to believe that this is good for us, that this is true health and strength and healing and growing, that we might be disciples who follow hard after Christ. In these days where people around us so desperately need Jesus Christ and to be set free. Lord, be pleased to receive this as our offering. Be pleased, Father, to receive us as your offering. And the implications of what that means to first give ourselves and then all the other things follow. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you probably, as you came to church this morning or drove by this week, were wondering, what is the meaning of those signs out in the front yard of the church? You did notice, I take it, if you were not here last week. We believe that God's message to us for this ministry year is really nicely summarized by Henry Blackaby and his experiencing God. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. We believe that that is the theme that um, we ought to consider this year, this ministry year. That a theme that really depicts all of God's dealings with his people in some fashion. Too many of us, I think, are trying to have God and remain the same. It just isn't possible. It never is his intention. That's why Jesus invited people to follow him. It clearly demonstrated that there was some change, some action, something that would be different. And so God's visionary challenge, of course, that you cannot go with God and stay where you are, led us to Isaiah 54, the challenge from God to his people to prepare for the family of God to grow. It is the norm 
It is the expectation of God. He is a God who is increasing the size and significance of his kingdom. In Isaiah 54, verse 2, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Spread out to the right and out to the left. Do not hold back. Make ready. Because our great God intends to increase the size of his family. And it occurred to us when we asked the question, well, where is the increase? Where is this increasing size of family that God is is talking about to us? And so we thought it would be appropriate to put those signs out in the front yard of our church property and send a message to our region that we believe God wants you to be part of his family. As they drive by Ritson and Roslyn, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people and cars that drive by there every single day, we want them to know that God cares about them, that God loves them, that there is hope in God, that there is strength in God, that there is a future with God, that Jesus Christ is the answer to the the challenges of their lives. We want them all to know about that. And so we want that message to boldly and and, uh, without reservation to go forth into our community. And so we've put those symbols of message out there. And we've invited people, all of you, to write on the frame of those signs and write some friends' names who you're praying for in this region that you believe God would have come into his family and that we would pray over them. And we want to, uh, to make this a, 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 the, the essence of our, our, our kickoff to this year of where we're going and what we believe God wants to do. I, I just don't want to come back to you next time this year and for everything to be the same as it was this year. It just can't be that way. We've got to trust God for something amazing. And I believe that he's poised us for something amazing. I don't exactly know what it is or what it's going to look like, but we're going to know when it is of God and what he wants us to do. And we need to pray about that. And we invite, if you were not here, to, there's some Sharpies out in the uh, lobby on your way out. And I don't mean Sam and Andy Powers. I mean some, some pens that you can write on. And you can take them out there and write on the frame of those signs some names that you want to pray about. We furthermore have, have, um, are challenging you with a prayer initiative called High, the Higher Stakes Prayer Initiative whereby early in the morning on your way to work that you stop in on your way to church, stop in by those signs and just get out of your car and pray over the city, over our region. Pray that God would increase the, the, uh, the size of the family of God in this region. Uh, so our staff will be there uh, around 7 o'clock in the morning, early in the morning. If you can't do that, come by on the way after work or, or any time during the day. Just stop in. It will be important for our city to know that we're praying over our city and our region Uh, with respect to their eternal souls, that they might be set free. It's an urgent matter. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. I want to talk about that in in, in a variety, that theme with respect to a variety of specifics this year. And and the next uh, adventure we're going to go on, and we're going to start this morning for the next little bit, is to investigate uh, on the basis of that theme, that, that thought around the theme of our money. You cannot go with God and stay where you are with respect to money. In fact, God talks over 800 times. He raises the subject mostly about giving in the scriptures. It's almost like you could turn in your Bibles randomly and come to a place in the scriptures where God is talking 
about giving, about offering, about money, about handling of money. That God has to ask us so often is a strong indicator that there may be some challenges to the issue or to the matter of our money, of our givings, of our offerings. That there must be some sort of pushback or he wouldn't have to ask us and talk to us so often in the word of God. Now, I have discovered something uh, very brilliant after years of ministry leadership. Now, listen to this. This is incredibly brilliant. God does not drop a gigantic bag of money Monday morning from heaven on the treasurer's desk each week. I've discovered that. A gigantic bag of money does not come from heaven, Greg, and you know this, you were treasurer around here at one time. He does not do that. I've discovered that over years. I, and Mondays I come in, ask you, you, did you get that bag from heaven? No, not this week. It doesn't happen that way. God does not choose to do that, although he could. Can I get an amen on that? But I have made this amazing discovery. That God chooses to finance his work around the world solely on the basis of the grace, gratitude, and love of his people toward him. Is that an amazing thing? That God chooses, and I could say to limit, because I'm going I'm to say that. God chooses to limit the financing of his work around the world and his work around the world solely on the basis of the grace gratitude, and love his people have toward him. Now, to me, that's the starting point before we talk about anything else about money, about offerings, about giving. It is coming to that realization because there are some serious implications about that. Uh, What that says to me is that God has committed himself to work on your life in the areas of grace Gratitude and love. Now, um, you might be asking me, where in the world do you get the idea that God really calls on us to gather up money and collect money and offerings and all of that? I would submit to you that the scriptures are filled with that, as I said to you, whereby the local church called in the Old Testament the storehouse is the distributor of God's resources. In fact, um, in our Bibles, in Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, a text that's probably familiar to most of you, we read there that uh, I, the Lord, do not change. That's important to know in the issues of giving and offerings and money. So you, O descendants of Jacob, and that's who we are, are not destroyed. Thank you, Lord. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. From my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. Nowhere else in the scriptures does God invite us to test him. In fact, we read another place where it says, Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. But we are invited to test him, to prove him, to try him in this specifically. 
And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Well, you say, well, that's the Old Testament. Yes, that's the Old Testament. What about in the New Testament? Well, would some quotes from Jesus work for you? Matthew chapter 5, for instance, verse 23. Just a few pages from where I am presently. Therefore, Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus, in speaking clearly to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then he says this, you should have practiced the latter. In other words, it was right for you to have given a tenth without neglecting the former, without neglecting the growth in your spiritual life, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And so we have a, and and we could continue on and on throughout, and we will through this series. We will talk about the various texts and scriptures. But we know that God could have dropped and can drop a bag from heaven, but because because he owns everything. There's a very clear statement to that effect in the book of Job, in Job chapter 41. Maybe you've never considered this before. Job chapter 41, verse 11. God, in uh, speaking about himself, says, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Now that, we would say, I didn't learn anything new there. I know all of that. Do you really know that? Do you really know that everything, everything that you have, belongs to God? In fact, he makes the point here that um, in the Malachi text, that, that God is, he's not just coming to you and asking at the other end of what you have to give back to him. He says, I'm the God who's at the front end of all of this stuff. I'm the God that, that can make sure that the pests don't destroy your crops. I, I'm the God that makes sure that your, your fruit doesn't fall off too early and be wasted in the field. I'm the God who, who, who causes your sales force to, to make sales. I, I'm the God who causes the, the, the marketplace to be interested in your product. I, I'm at the front end of all of this stuff. Because all of it's mine. And so if we really believe that everything belongs to God, we have to ask the question, then why in the world would he entrust the task of giving to us? It's not because he needs anything. Nor is it because... He's hoping to gain more accumulations for himself and amass a greater accumulation of things to own. He already owns everything. So so why in the world would he entrust to us the task of giving? 
I mean, it seems to me that we really need to search for other reasons that God calls us to give than, than that he needs. You know, we've gone through a variety of, um, of fads and, and strategies in the whole area of church growth and church strategies, church ministry. We've gone through a fad not too long ago where we were told, don't ask anybody for money. Because if you ask people for money, they just won't come to church. And we want them to come to church, of course, don't we? So the the best idea for church growth is to to not ask people for money. I got to tell you, as I've studied over the years the things of God, the pastor who does not talk to you or tell you about money or ask you to give money to the work of God is a pastor who doesn't love you. That's the truth of the matter. Because God intends to increase your grace, your gratitude, your love on the basis of the privilege of giving to God. You see, the, the problem is people say, well, I'm not going to go to church because all they ever talk about is money. Well, that's a certainly hyperbole. I haven't talked to you about money for seven years. So I don't think the church talks about money all the time. Chairman here is raising his eyebrows. You haven't? No wonder we have these issues. In God's plan to produce followers who deny themselves and take up their cross, the act of giving may be the most significant tool and training ground God employs to cause you to reach spiritual levels of bigness completely unreachable to those who resist or settle or struggle to give big. (sighs) Took a whole screen to write that out. Again, I think that is one of the more important statements that you can allow to be emblazoned on your brain. While the biblical idea of handling money, of giving money, is not so ministry can thrive or go forward. It is not so God can have money to accomplish his mission. It is far more urgent and personal than that. I believe this is a true statement that the act of giving is how God moves you from spiritual smallness to spiritual bigness. And that's why he talks about it so much. You can never live big and give small. It's not about God's needs. It's not about church needs. It's not about mission or ministry needs. It's not about charity needs. This is about your needs. You as a mission of God. You personally as God's mission. That's what it's about. And so let me just share with you three things that I think just before we gather around the table of the Lord that are important as introductory realities to this whole matter of God and his work in our lives spiritually and what he wants to accomplish. Keep in mind that um, this all started when God first gave himself for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he 
gave his one and only son. Tell me, talk to me, talk to me, church. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. For God so loved the world he gave. His treasure, his one and only son. Ponder it all over again as we, ga- as we soon gather around the table of the Lord. His one and only son. He gave freely his one and only son. Why? Because we were in a life direction crisis. Going our own way. Each one of us. Seeking after the same things the nations of the world seek after. Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount made it very abundantly clear what the nations of the world seek after. What the peoples of the world are all hassled and harried about. What everybody's worried about. What will they eat? What will they drink? What clothing will they have? Where will they live? What will they own? That's what all the peoples of the world, Jesus says, the ones who worship other gods or, or worship no or at least think they're worshiping no gods, the pagans who have nothing, that's what they worry about. But not you. And so money becomes the centerpiece of the human enterprise. But to go God's ways means to switch all of the price tags. And how can I be developed in such a way that I will be willing to do that? You see, the definition of a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ made again abundantly clear, is someone who would deny themselves, take up their cross every day, and follow me. You cannot go with Jesus and stay the same as you are that they would pick up their cross and follow me, deny themselves. How Jesus defines following. If you're going to go with Jesus, you can't stay where you are. He's called us, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, to live as strangers here, as strangers to the values of here. 1 Peter 1, 17, listen to it. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Why? He goes on, because you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, that you were bought back from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Not only did God... Give himself first so that we could, to, to make going with God possible, but, but God took pity on you and bought you so that your addiction to yourself and your sin would give way to denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Christ. And by the way, He bought all of you. He bought all of you. And all that you are and all that you will be, he bought by his blood. 
purchased you out of a slave market. That's why we sang, you have set me free. So Jesus bought all of you and Jesus owns everything that you have. And do you know what that means? He has set you free from the burden of being preoccupied with yourself, of being addicted to yourself. He, um, he has taken away the burden of you being concerned about managing accumulations. Jesus said, um, is not a sparrow worth whatever it was, a couple of pennies, two sparrows, that. And he said, aren't you worth more than many sparrows? I was wondering, how many sparrows am I worth to God? Does it go by height? Are you worth more sparrows if you're taller? You're worth more than, more than many, many sparrows to God. And so what he has, has done by doing that is he says, everybody outside of me is worried and hassled and harried about all the things accumulations and all, what are they going to do? And he says, I've set you free from that so that you can take all of that energy that they expend there and you can put it into the kingdom of God. In the same context, God says, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Isn't that an amazing thing? He has set us free from all of that. I've discovered as well, finally, that the Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 9 became poor so that I could become rich. Have you seen that before? In verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now what riches did he mean? That we would become wealthy? Was he talking about becoming rich in money? No, no. He couldn't have been. Because in the very context of that chapter, we find out that there was a people there that says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. These people were as poor as church mice. And Jesus says, you are rich. Christ has made you rich. How? Because how did Christ become poor? I think of the Psalm 16, verse 11, where it it says, in your presence, God, in the presence of God is fullness of joy and, and, and forever pleasures. And for a time, the Son of God, the, the second person of the Godhead, left the presence of the Father in the fullness of joy, the forever pleasures, and came to be among us and to die for us, to become poor, that we might gain God, that we might gain the treasure of Christ, that we might have the fullness of joy and forever pleasures. That's how we've become rich. The Lord Jesus Christ became poor to make you rich so that you would treasure Christ above all other things. I love to um, 
I love to give gifts to my family. This morning, sitting in the front was Graydon and Sarah. I pointed out that we've now added somebody I have to get gifts for. We've added more gifts to the family. I love to get gifts for Lynn and the kids. I like to buy myself gifts. You know, when you don't get the gifts that you want, you have to, you have to gift yourself, right? In fact, I'm one of the favorite people I like to give gifts to. But I hope at the end of the year when I tally up all the money I've spent on gifts for the people I love, that I've given more to my treasure, Christ. He's the treasure. As the Apostle Paul says at the end of chapter 9, or chapter 9, verse 15, he is the indescribable gift. Let me ask you a question just before we transition to the table. How much do you think the people outside of Jesus Christ would be willing to pay for what you have been freely given? You've been given the power to change, related to and loved by God forever, forgiven and guilt-free, joy and not judgment beyond the grave. Can I just say to you that as we embark upon this series, I'm firmly convinced that you cannot go with God and stay where you are in your giving. We're going to learn in this journey that it's not about piecing God off. It's not about buying his greater affection. It's not somehow fees that that will help to operate his kingdom. It's not about dues so you can be part of the church club thing. It's not about um, somehow financial, realizing financial freedom, and it's certainly not about celestial lottery. Giving is about authenticity, about genuine. Giving is training in dependency. Giving is teaching about gratitude. Giving is weaning us from other affections. Giving is learning the paradox of receiving through giving. And giving is being kept from corruption. But always, 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 it starts at the foot of the cross. I wonder this morning how much we have comprehended the unbelievable cost of our salvation. I wonder if we've considered the incomparable benefits of God's love for us. I wonder if we have really understood the amazing privilege of giving what God already owns and has given to us and asks us for a a small percentage of it in return, never sends us a bill. Have you ever received a bill from God? I've never received a bill from God. And he works his works from the amount that he gives, that you give him, and he credits it all to your account. Is that an amazing God or what? I mean, maybe I need to say that again so you can just sort of let it rattle around in your head a little bit and then move it to your heart. Do you understand that here's what God has done? He has given to us what he already owns. 
And he's asking us for a minor percentage back, a token of our love, uh, which he uses to, to resource his works around the world. And then, as if he couldn't say, now, this is all about me. I did all of this. This wasn't yourself. And then he turns around and he credits all of that to our account. That's an amazing God to me. That's who our God is. Father, I thank you as we now visually and with all of our other senses enter into the remembrance of our great salvation and the cost of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts afresh that you are a God who is without needs. You need nothing. You own everything. And that you have committed yourself to causing us to be people of grace and gratitude and love through the discipline of generosity. Lord, it's an amazing thing you do. And now I want to give you thanks and praise you as we remember and celebrate the salvation we received through the costly sacrifice of your love for us in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. Not only did he give all of himself for us, but it was really costly. When I look at this emblem, I realize that God the Father didn't give us leftovers. He gave us the most costly of all, the shedding of the blood of his one and only son. That's how he gave, that we might have life. This cup, Jesus says, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Beloved, for your own good, you cannot give yourself wholly to the Lord and keep most of what you have for yourself. So I would say to you that it's really important that you understand you cannot go with God and stay the same as you are in your giving. Our Father, I pray that you will bless your word, your intentions, and that your people will understand that you are a God who needs nothing. You are infinitely resourced. And we are infinitely blessed to have the treasure of Jesus Christ as ours. And Father, it is your intention in whatever it takes that you would train us up to be followers of Jesus Christ. People who deny themselves take up their cross daily so that they can follow him wherever he takes us whatever he wants us to do, whatever he wants us to give, whenever. So, Father, I pray that you will find the people who desire to go to spiritual extremes 
that are unreachable by those who are resistant and obstinate and disobedient. For we desire, Father, at Calvary that there would be minimal limitations to the expansiveness of the work that you could do in and through us in these days. As Pastor Duane already prayed, that it might be epic. That in years to come, they may talk about these days. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.